peace to you. Welcome to the Naked Truth. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of 2 Samuel. We made it to chapter 13. And just at a glance, i got to warn you, if you, um, it's a, a rape trigger, basically. If you're a person who's experienced or is triggered by sexual assault and the like, then be warned. It's more of that in this chapter. This has got to be like the third or fourth time, maybe even half a dozen that we've read about some sort of violent rape, gang rape craziness in the Old Testament. And we're only in, what, the seventh book, eighth book of the Old Testament? And maybe ninth. And um, none of the times are the um, sexual assaults, the rapes, um, directly addressed by the entity that is being identified as the Lord. Strange. Um, but we're going to pick it up where we're at now. So be warned. We're at 2 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to begin with verse 1. If you want to read along with me, here we go. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. So the people we're talking about is David. Uh, that's the same David and Goliath, King David now, um, and his family. He Some time has passed because now he's got grown children. Uh, at least they must be at least... Um, teenagers for these sort of events to be happening where um it's described what what we're going to be reading about um and remember he's got lots of kids from lots of different women um and more than one wife so as i could keep saying all the bible thumping that um uh, american uh, religious hypocrites love to say about marriage being one man and one woman in opposition to marriage equality for other types of couples. Um, it's just nonsense, especially if it's Bible-based because it's not in the Bible. It's not how it reads at all. But all that being said, we're talking about David and his family. He's got a daughter named Tamar and a son named Amnon. Most likely, they're not full-blood brother and sister um, the way just how it's written, um, but maybe they are, but it doesn't read that way. Um, let's see. Um, verse two, Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick for she was a virgin and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. So this is the narrator, um, letting us know what's so improper about it. Um, I'm not sure if it's because it's his sister. That's probably not the case because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all married to relatives. So I doubt that the incest was the issue. Although it wasn't an issue when it happened back with them, it later became uh, one of the ordinances that popped up after the Ten Commandments were given, um, seemingly by the religion, not by God, but by the religion that came up with all sorts of dogma after the Ten Commandments. Then incest was um, considered a no-no. So it could be because it's his sister that it's saying it's improper, or it could be because she's a virgin, that it's saying it's improper for him to do anything to her, not with her, to her. So it lets us know that, um, I guess, if it weren't for her being his sister, it'd be okay for him to do things to her, um, not with her, to her. And I say that because there's a difference. If there were two people who wanted to get married, like, say, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob marrying their cousins and so forth, um, it, then it's mutual they're doing it with each other but it said specifically to her meaning 
he wanted to do it and she wasn't necessarily on board with it. At least that's how it reads to me. And the fact that it's saying in the first verse, it said that he had a lovely sister named Tamar. Um, then it goes on and um, it doesn't really mention that. It, it seems like if they were brother and sister, like full blood brother and sister, it would have just said David had two children or David had um, a son and a daughter from whatever their mother's name was, whichever one it was. But it sort of reads like they aren't full blood brother and sister, but instead, like it said, children from two different wives that he had or concubine side pieces and others that he had. But maybe they are full blood. Let's see. Verse three. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shania, David's brother. Now, Jonadab was a very crafty man. So Jonadab is a cousin, it seems, because it's saying it's the son of David's brother, Shemiah. So that would make Jonadab and Amnon cousins. Why it doesn't just call them that, I'm not sure. And maybe cousin is a, a, a term that wasn't produced until later on in language. But, I mean, that's what it seems to be saying, that that's who it is. He's talking with one of his cousins and... The narrator here is saying that the cousin is a crafty man, meaning he's sort of a sly. Um, also, one other thing about the narrator, it, although it's called Second Samuel, this isn't Samuel speaking because last time we heard from Samuel was at a seance. He had already died and his spirit was um, reached out to, connected with by a medium, or as some people term her, the witch of Endor. Though it doesn't say she's a witch at all. It says she's a medium and she clearly had the power to do what it is she had the reputation for because she contacted Samuel. Samuel was the one who recognized that Saul was in disguise, not the woman herself, the so-called witch of Endor. Um, she didn't see it until the spirit appeared to her. So clearly she had the power to make the connection with the dead and Although some religions will try to say, Bible thumpers will say, oh, it's just the devil at work. But they'll also say the devil isn't able to tell the future, uh, only bring up your past to you. I got into that discussion with someone recently. Uh, but that's not true either, because she was able to perform the seance successfully, contact Samuel, and Samuel gave her a prophecy that very quickly came true. So whatever means she did it by it turned out to be effective and real because it came to pass it's not like she came up with some lie and it didn't happen she came up with a, a prophecy and it did happen but whatever the case may be so so did she realize it's not samuel that's passing the story on to us even though the book is named for samuel in the same way those five books called the five books of moses weren't all words of Moses because Moses had passed away by the time some of those words were um, attributed to him. So we know that just because it's labeled that doesn't mean that that's necessarily who said it. Oh, just as a footnote. So anyway, uh, Jonadab and, um, um, and uh, Absalom are having a conversation. Verse 4. And he said to him, Why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day by day, day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's wife. So there you have it there. He didn't just say his sister, although she's called his sister in verse 1 and 2. It's clear here that they must be half-siblings because now he himself is identifying Tamar as not his sister, 
but as his brother, Absalom's sister. Um, wait a minute. Okay, so Amnon is the one speaking here to Jonadab, not Absalom. I think I misspoke earlier. Um, so do we understand Amnon and Jonadab are having a discussion about Absalom's sister, David's daughter, his own half-sister, um, at least by the way it reads. And he's telling his cousin that he's lovesick over his half-sister Tamar. Verse 5, and that's why he apparently is losing weight. He's not able to eat. He's got the hots for her, um, but he's not able to do what he wants to to her because of the different societal regulations binding him. Verse 5, so Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So how sick is that? You have two cousins talking about how to bring about the attack on another cousin of theirs. Two male cousins are trying to plan and plot how to get to, sexually get to, their uh, female cousin. Um, I'm sorry, one of the, it's a, she's a cousin to uh, Jonadab. She's the half-sister to Amnon. Um, and they're plotting together on how Amnon can get to her because that's what he wants to do. He's horny for her in plain English. And so that's the plan they decide to cook up to use their father, David, to help make it happen. Um, would a father really be um, that blind to their efforts to not, uh, to not realize that the fact that he's requesting her specifically to feed him is a plot? Maybe I guess parents don't think that their children will be capable of such things, but I'm not sure why David wouldn't think that. He's done some pretty dirty deeds along the way, so it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of fishy that he wouldn't suspect something um, of his son saying he's so sick he can't eat unless his sister feeds him something. But maybe that's just so gross that he just wouldn't consider it. Let's see. Maybe it won't work. It's going to work just as a spoiler alert. So anyway, his cousin has given him advice on how to get to uh, Tamar, verse 7. And David sent home to Tamar. Oh, did I skip one? Oh, apparently it worked because we're right on to David sending for it. Verse 7. And David sent home to Tamar saying, now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So now we know they're all grown for Amnon to have his own house and for her to be an adult enough, old enough, I should say, to um, also travel without a chaperone to her brother's house. So um, David is up there in age now. When we first met him, he was 17 when he was the shepherd. So now clearly years and years have passed if he's got grown children. And apparently he doesn't see through the um, tactics that his son is using because he sent his daughter now to go tend to her brother. Verse 8, so Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house and he was lying down. Then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. So she's being obedient to her father. Because remember, at this time, and it lives on in modern times too, uh, with the whole giving being given in marriage, when women are given in marriage, given away by their fathers, it's rooted in this, and probably even before this, that women were property. She's the property of her father until she gets married. 
then she's the property of her husband. That's just the way it's, it's laid out uh, in the Bible as a patriarchal document. And many women have no problem with that in modern times. They want to be owned by some man. They want to be uh, the property of whatever man is in their life. I feel like in America, let them have that. But they should be able to have that themselves, not expect that of other people. So if a woman feels like she's uh, her man's property and feels like she doesn't have the equal rights of her husband, then give that to her. But don't force that on everyone else. Uh, but make them eat that. Make them live by that. Don't let them have it both ways. Um, like people who denounce welfare and subsidies, but then get them in the form of VA benefits or GI bills or scholarships, government scholarships, Pell Grants, uh, food stamps, whatever the case may be. Let people eat what it is they say they believe in, and then maybe you'll affect what they believe in. But as long as you let people be hypocrites, they're going to be empowered to be hypocrites. Just a thought. So in verse 8, so Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and she did what her daddy told her. She made cakes for him in his sight and baked them. So um, it says she kneaded and uh, kneaded flour and, and stuff. So it doesn't sound like it's cakes. Like you might think Duncan Hines cakes like that. It sounds more like um, uh, rolls, dinner rolls or something like that, that you have to knead. You don't knead um, birthday cake type cakes. Um, but whatever the case may be, she's done what she's told. She's um, prepared some food for her brother who's pretending to be too sick to eat. Or he's pretending he can't eat um, unless she feeds him. Verse 9, and she took the pan and placed them out before him, and he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. So they're grown, but they're also entitled. They have servants even, um, his David's children, that is. So uh, his humble beginnings have led to um, not so humble means now. Because his kids have homes and they even have servants. And uh, so far, we haven't read anything about his children being industrious and earning anything on their own. Instead, it seems they were born with silver spoons in their mouths, just like many of the entitled wealthy people in America in modern times, fully feeling fully entitled to all sorts of benefits, um, things like even admi admissions to Ivy League schools. Ivy League universities and colleges, higher learning, higher education, entitled to all of that. But then at the same time, out of the other side of their mouth, denouncing things like, like, um, like, um, why is the word escaping me now? Um, things like, um, what's it called when they make quotas to make sure there's some sort of equity and race, um, um, Affirmative action. I don't know why it was slipping my mind. But they'll say things like they're against people. They're against things like affirmative action. And they'll say it's because people are getting unearned privileges, yet they're the same beneficiary of unearned privileges because their family donates to a university or donated to a university, university historically, or their heritage is connected to the university. So they'll get admission to the university, not based on their own merit, or brain power at all, but based on unearned uh, benefits. And yet they'll point the finger at other people who get those same things they call unearned. It's such hypocrisy. And like I said, if people had to eat the hypocrisy, then maybe you could change the hypocrisy. But as long as you let people keep saying one thing and do another, 
How do you expect it to change? You see that Congresswoman giving speeches in a black gown, uh, claiming to be pro-family and everything, but she was just recently found out to be catting around, to put it nicely, on her husband. And yet the Bible thumpers still follow her. It's really sick. It's really, really sick how the hypocrisy is fed in this country, probably in every uh, country around the world, just under different religious labels and entitles people to do that, to say one thing and do another and still get away with being in power. It's sick. So anyway, Amnon is um, ordering all the servants to leave. So that's got to be a, a, a dark foreshadowing of what it is he has in mind because he's already done what he asked him to, what he asked her to and preparing the food for him. She's even laid it out for him to eat. Now all the servants have been cleared out. It's just him and her. Verse 11, now when she had brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. So how sick is that? A grown man has now uh, cornered his own sister into um, into the situation where it's just him and her. And she's already uh, prepared the food for him uh, after he acted so sick he couldn't eat. Um, and that wasn't enough. Now he's got her alone. And he's basically moved in for the kill. He's attacked her physically, telling her to have sex with him. Verse 12, but she answered him, no, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. So that sounds good until we keep reading. She's telling him, don't do it. Don't force her. Don't rape her, basically. Um, and that things like that shouldn't be done uh, in their uh, community is what she's appealing to him with. Unfortunately, um, it sounds good, but wait till we keep reading. That's her defense of trying to get him to stop her, stop from uh, raping her. Verse 13, and I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. So how gross is that? The poor woman is about to be raped. And the only bargaining chip she could come up with to save herself from being assaulted by her own brother is to tell him for his reputation, reputation's sake, don't do it. Instead, appeal to their father, the king, and he'll give her to him. How disgusting is that? How sad is that? That that's the only option she has to escape from being raped by her own brother. I suppose at least that's one option that she has. Seems terrible to me, but um, it's what she's using to get out of the situation. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to work. I'm pretty sure it's not going to work because I remember it's not going to work. But that's what she told him to try to get this, get him to stop from doing what it is he had in mind. Um, let's see. Verse 14. However, he would not heed her voice. And being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. So um, he used his own uh, brute strength to force her to have sex with him, um, not even have sex with him, because sex and rape aren't the same thing. He forced himself on her with his physical strength and raped his own sister. Grown man, so it's not like children playing around and figuring out sex and how that works. It's a grown man uh, forcing his grown sister to have sex with him. Uh, not even have sex with him. He raped his own sister. Both fully grown people. Sick. 
Um, verse 15, then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that he treated her, so that, he, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, arise, be gone. So how gross is that? To add insult to injury after he's raped her, now he despises her. He's had sex with her and um, I keep saying sex. It's not sex. Sex and rape aren't the same thing. Sex is a component of rape. But it's not the same thing because um, sex with someone implies consent. Clearly, she didn't consent to it. Um, so just as a, 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 a difference, just that we understand what's happened. So now he's forced himself on her, um, got what he wanted, and now he's basically kicking her out um, after he's finished doing what he wanted to do. Like they said in the color purple, he did his business. And now he's done with her and tossed her out and even hates her. Self-loathing is a sick part of um, the world where people do things counter to their own best interest um, because they hate themselves. And many times it takes the form of um, gay people uh, or closeted gay people, closeted LGBT, LGBT, LGBT people um, committing violence against other LGBT people who are out uh, because they've gotten to a place where they are comfortable with themselves or they love themselves. But that self-loathing in the other person will cause them to lash out because of cultural reasons, family reasons, mentally ill reasons, um, but usually just self-loathing. I mean, a lot of times that's all it is. They really hate themselves because they're attracted to something and they can't mentally deal with the attraction and don't want to socially face the consequences of what they believe is uh, righteousness by their culture, even though they know better inside. It's really sick. Um, so they end up hating the one they're attracted to. Um, but that's what he's done now. He's raped his sister and now he's turned the affection he had for, in, for her into hatred toward her. Verse, um, let's see, verse 15, then Amnon, oh, we read that one, verse 16. So she said to him, no, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. So he tried to just kick her out after he raped her. And she's like, no, 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 no. You're not just going to sweep me under the rug like that. She's saying that would be worse than the physical attack that he did to her. Um, but he's not hearing that either. Verse 17, then he called his servant who attended him and said, here, put this woman out away from me and bolt the door behind her. Uh, so he's a low down, dirty skunk. I mean, we saw how what a scoundrel his father was, David, in some of the things he's done in having Uriah killed so he could have his wife after he had already uh, had sex with her and impregnated her had him killed, sent him to war and had him killed. Now you see what his son's done, um, being a fruit not falling far from the tree. He's raped his sister and now commanded the servants to just kick her out and then bolt the door so she can't return. Verse 18, now she had on a robe of many colors for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel and his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. So that verse tells us a few things. He's got sons. We've read about a couple of them already. 
Absalom one. Um, Amnon is another. Uh, Solomon is another one. Um, and the daughters, Tamar now, we've read her by name, but clearly he's got other daughters, virgin daughters, it says specifically. So King David has had quite a few children in the time that's gone by. And these ones are the ones that are grown. Whatever the case may be, that daughter has been put out and um, and uh, the door locked behind her so she can't return. Verse, oh, and one last thing about the uh, robe of many colors. It just reminds me of uh, Joseph, uh, the one whose brothers betrayed him, sold him into slavery and um, pretended he was dead and lied to their father about him being uh, ripped apart by a wild animal for years. And then only later in Africa, where that truth came to light. Well, he had the coat of many colors also. That's what reminded me of that. So in verse 19, then Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her robe of many colors that was on her and laid her hand on her head and went away crying bitterly. So the, um, she tore her robe. That's the same way we read in the New Testament where um, at Jesus's trial, when the religious leaders are put him on trial and question him and ask him plainly, is he uh, the son of God? And I'm paraphrasing that. But that's what they ask him. Is he the son of the blessed? I think is the exact wording. Uh, when they're trying to find out if he is who they believe him to be, the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures of the Christ, the Messiah, coming in the flesh to bring about the salvation, the opportunity for salvation for all mankind, whosoever will. Um, so when they ask him that and he answers and affirms it, that he is, and hereafter you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's how he puts it in Matthew chapter 26, I believe it is. Um, um, that they tear their clothes. It's a way of showing outrage at something. And we've read previously where people ripped their clothes. It's uh, it's it's just a, a sign of showing outrage. It'd be trying to think of a modern equivalent of something like that when people act like they're outraged about something what they do um i can't think of anything that comes to mind as a modern equivalent of it but the whole tearing and roll um that's the same thing that happened at the trial of jesus though that's another biblical example of it so that's what she's done she's torn her clothes and gone out publicly weeping crying out so people can see that she's upset. Not that that's the reason that she's doing it, but she's publicly doing it and people can see it. Verse 20, and Absalom, her brother, said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He's your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom, Absalom's house. So she's not getting very much comfort from her other brother presumably her full blood brother, um, since that's how um, Amnon, seemed, Amnon, Amnon seemed to describe her earlier as her his brother Absalom's sister. So most likely Absalom is a full blood brother to Tamar. Um, and she's um, being questioned by him, asking her point blank, is that what happened? Did, um, uh, has she had sex with their brother? Um, Amnon. He didn't really ask, did he rape you? It, he asked, I guess, in a nicer way that it'd be easier for her to hear or answer. 
um, has her brother been with her? Um, but it didn't say that um, she answered. And so presumably he was able to put two and two together and figure out she's really upset. Her clothes are torn. She just returned from visiting him. And probably his crush, if you want to call it that, on her was not a secret. Um, so he's able to figure it out. That's what's happening. That's what's got his sister upset. And now it seems his sister is staying with him. Um, and it says desolate in her brother Absalom's house. So it, it, presumably that means alone. I guess she was a spinster from then on. She didn't marry, didn't have a man. She lived there with her brother. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 21. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. Uh, so now the word has gotten back to David their father, the king, that all of those things have happened. Uh, and he's angry about it. Uh, he should probably be angry at himself for not being more in touch with what's going on with his kids. Um, but And they're grown, though, so I guess how angry could he be about it? How much could he blame himself? Whatever the case may be, he's not pleased at hearing the news. Verse 22, and Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. So um, it's, not Absalom's, it's not Absalom saying that um, Amnon had forced her. The narrator here is letting us know that apparently Absalom knows that that's what happened, that Amnon raped his sister. But rather than go at him uh, verbally, um, he's not saying uh, anything good or bad toward him. So to me, that would probably be, if Amnon weren't stupid, a sign that, uh-oh, there's trouble. Because when you know you've wronged someone and they don't confront you head on with it um, about what's going on, then most likely they're holding it against you in their heart and intending to get you back for it. Verse 23, and it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears and Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. So now some time has gone by, a couple of years. And Absalom has invited all the king's sons, meaning David had lots of brothers. I'm, I'm sorry, lots of children, but specifically lots of sons, not just the two or three that we've read about so far. But they've all been invited now by Absalom um, after a couple of years. Verse 24, then Absalom came to the king and said, kindly note, your servant has sheep shears. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. So now uh, Absalom's plot is taking form. He's asking their father, King David, to um, um, let, the ser let his servants go with your servant, meaning let your other sons go with me, is what he's saying. Verse 25, but the king said to Absalom, no, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go, and he blessed him. So um, uh, David is answering his son Absalom, saying, no, 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 don't let all of us go and be a burden to you. Don't invite all of your brothers. Don't invite all of us to your house. It'd be too much for you to have to deal with to prepare for all of us. Um, I guess he's not able to see through that either, any more than he was able to see through one of his sons specifically asking for one of his daughters to cook for him before. Now he's not able to see through one of his sons inviting all of them to a great feast. Um, 
uh, verse 26, then Absalom said, if not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, why should he go with you? So um, Absalom invited everyone and David, the king said, no, 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 that'd be too much. Um, so now Absalom is going with plan B saying, okay, well then instead of all of you, they just let my brother Amnon go, um, specifically the one who he has beef with. Um, and maybe David is picked up on that by wondering, well, why should he go with you? Um, let's see, verse 27, but Absalom urged him. So he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. So rather than letting everyone go to a big feast, he's asked David, their father, to just let Amnon go. And um, after a little uh, uh, urging, King David agreed to it to let all his sons go to Absalom's house for that feast. Verse 28, now Absalom had commanded his servants saying, watch now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So Absalom is letting his servants know, this is the sign to look for, and I'm going to give you the signal. And when I give you the signal, that's when you whack Amnon. I'm sorry, Amnon is what Absalom has informed his servants. And he's telling them, don't worry about killing one of the princes. Don't worry about killing the king's son. I got your back. I'm the one giving you the order. And so make sure you follow what it is I tell you to. In other words, he's letting them know they won't get in any trouble with the king for killing one of his sons because one of his other sons gave them the order to do it. Verse 29, so the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each one got off his mule and fled. So the servants did what they were commanded to do. When they got the word, they killed Amnon at Absalom's command. And in witnessing that, all of his brothers, all the other king, they keep saying the king's sons, not his brothers, meaning they aren't full blood. At least that's how it reads to me. Um, they're all his sons, but they're not all. They don't consider each other all brothers, presumably because they're from different mothers. Um, but when it happened, they all fled. Verse 30, and it came to pass while they were on the way. The news came to David saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons and not one of them is left. So just like much got many gossip, a lot of gossip, the whole truth isn't in it. But a grain of it is like some of the most convincing lies. Uh, they usually have a grain of truth in them. So um, the truth is one of the king's sons is dead. But the gossip, the lie, the mistaken story is that all of the king's sons are dead. And that's what gets back to David. Verse 31. So the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground, and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. So again, with the clothes tearing, to show outrage, upset, they're doing it in solidarity, even they see the king did it, they're doing the same thing, tearing their clothes, at word that all of his sons have been are dead. Verse 32, then Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, answered and said, let not my lord suppose that they've killed all the young men, the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead, for by the command of Absalom this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. So once again, crafty Jonadab knows the tea. He's letting David know, no, 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 don't get upset, don't be too torn up. All your sons aren't dead, just the one who raped his sister. So it's clearly no secret what happened between uh, Amnon um, and him raping Tamar. Um, 
Jonadab is the one who helped set it all in, in the motion. Their own cousin. How sick is that? that? I mean, it actually sounds like what families do. Um, verse 33, now therefore let my lord the king take the thing. Now therefore let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. So Amnon and Jonadab seemed like they were friends because they were plotting together earlier. Now Amnon is dead and Jonadab doesn't seem to give a hoot. He's letting him know, no, 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 don't worry, all your sons are alive. Only Amnon, the scoundrel who raped his sister, is dead. Verse 34, then Absalom fled, for the young man who was keeping watch lifted his eyes and looked, and there many people were coming from the road on the hillside behind him. So Absalom thinks he's in trouble for killing one of the king's sons, uh, one of his own brothers. Uh, so he's fleeing for his life, much like his father David fled for his life all those years back before from Saul. Um Verse 35, and Jonadab said to the king, look, king's sons are coming, as your servant said. So it is. So Jonadab is, has comforted David, letting him know that, um, look, your sons are still alive, just like I told you. Only Amnon is dead. Verse 36, so it was as soon as he had finished speaking that the king's sons indeed came, and they lifted up their voice and wept. Also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. So it seems like if the king cries, they cry along with them. Um, either they're just that loyal or they're just that puppety where whatever he does, they do in like manner. And it seems more like the latter than the former. Whatever the case may be, the king's in tears over his um, over what's gone on and his servants are crying too. Verse 37, but Absalom fled and went to Talmai the son of Amihud, king of Geshur, and David mourned for his son every day. So which son he's mourning for? I'm not sure. Is he mourning for Absalom, who's fled from him, or is he mourning for Amnon, who was killed? It's not real clear. Verse uh, 38, so Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. So Absalom has gone to um, flee for his life from uh, facing the consequences or potential consequences of what he's done in killing one of the king's sons, one of his own brothers, um, for years now have passed now. Three years have passed now. Verse 39, and King David longed to go to Absalom, for he had been comforted concerning Amnon because he was dead. So now we know which son he mourned for. He wasn't mourning for Amnon, the son who was killed. He's mourning for Absalom who's gone missing, who's fled from him uh, for those years. And it's saying, according to the narrator, he's actually comforted by the fact that Amnon has been killed, um, even though it's by one of his own, or one of his own sons who did it. Um, sounds like a sick family dynamic. But again, sounds like a lot of families are just like that, kind of sick. Anyway, that was the last verse in this chapter, so that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope it's a blessing for you and that you'll join me again. I love you, and I'll see you next time. And one last thing, I really, whether you love him or hate him, you got to congratulate the previous president. He has a hustle. He found some suckers who are willing to just back him no matter what, whether it was the Republican Party paying off his bills up until he announced that he was running for president again, or whether it's the people 
paying their money to buy the NFT he just announced. People mock him for creating such ridiculous looking uh, characters that are clearly not his body, clearly not his build, clearly not his own record of um, victories. And yet it sold out. People bought him. So got to congratulate him. He knows what he's got. He's got him some suckers and he's milking them. So tip your hat to him, love him or hate him. Um, and now look at for, for the now theatrics of the J6 committee offering up him a referral um, that he um, faced charges. You'll see how that goes. I love you. See you next time. Peace be with you.